You're listening to Center Church Podcast. At Center Church, we strive to keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. You're about to hear a message from our pastor, Matthew Edwards. But before you do, we want to invite you to visit our website at centercharlotte.org. There you can sign up for our weekly emails and receive new content as we release it. Secondly, we want to invite you to visit our pastor's blog at matthewedwards.cc. And finally, if this podcast ministered to you in any way, go ahead and subscribe and you'll be the first to know when we release more content in the future. Thanks for listening in and be blessed. So I'm really excited to share the word with you this morning. Like I said, I'm not going to go very long. I'll keep it very, very short. Um, two verses top, maybe a third if I'm, you know. Anyways, so are you in Psalm 105? Now we're going to pick up in Psalm 105, but before we do, keep in mind what you're going to see in Psalms 105. I'll give you the context as we turn there. In Psalm 105, David is actually giving a brief history of where Israel has come from and where they've come from uh, was in Egypt in bondage. And he starts saying, give thanks to the Lord and let's talk about everything that God has done. Now, that's one of those things I love to do. Let's talk about everything God has done. Um, My mom has this thing she does whenever we're going through something, she can pull a story out of nowhere. And you're just like, I've never heard that story before. But it's just these profound stories. And you're like, my God. And uh, Christina got, she got Christina once. She was telling, um, I think maybe when she was pregnant with Parker, she was telling a story. And as she was telling the story, Christina was like, you need to write a book. So now they have this outstanding book somewhere they're going to write one day by the grace of God sooner than later. But I mean, just talk about the things that God did. Because there's a generation of people, and I can speak for my generation. There's a generation of kids and children who have no clue. And we're, we're, we're using our faith in a different way. And I start realizing that, you know, there was a generation before us that looked at a refrigerator and said, in the name of Jesus, food will be here. And somebody knocked on the door and brought food. And I mean, you know, there's a generation of kids that the, that, that the gospel is so watered down that it's like, well, there's no food in the refrigerator. What are we going to do? You know, and then you go find and try to work five more jobs to make sure you're never in that position again. But again, there's, there's, there's a generation, I think, before us that said, speak to the refrigerator, food will come. And I'm like, how do we get back to that? And so I think it starts by saying, let's tell the stories. Let's tell the stories of what God did for us and how he did it for us. Because anyways, we got to get back to that. So anyways, knowing that, and that was the story. um, I won't say anyone's name. But anyways, I want to get back there. Is that okay? (laughs) So David says in Psalm 105, hey, look, tell the story. Let's talk about what God did. And he starts talking about how God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. Now, what I want you to keep in mind is think about the differences of what was happening. And the more I was meditating on this, the Lord spoke something very clear to me, and I'll share it in just a moment. When you look at what they had in Egypt, we all know the story for the most part. In Egypt, they were in slavery. Okay? They were slaves in Egypt. But when they came into the wilderness to leave, when they left their slavery, you would think they would be so happy. But time after time after time, even in the promised land later on, they said, we were better off in Egypt. Now, what was so good about Egypt that made them say we were better off there. When you think about it this way, when they ran out of food, they said, at least we knew we had food in Egypt. Even though they were in bondage to something, they said, at least we know we have food. There was another time they ran out of water. Were there not enough graves for us in Egypt that you brought us out here to die of thirst? So even in bondage, they knew they could find water. Now, the water source in Egypt came from the Nile River, which was looking down. If you want life, if you want water, you have to look down. But what does God promise you? When you come to the promised land, guess what? The water's not going to be down anymore. Now the water's going to come from above. You want water, you're going to have to look up. And it's a picture of all of us saying, I'm going to look up to the heavens. I'm going to look up. You know what what the color blue represents in the Bible? Grace. And God just so happened to paint the sky, which means if you want life, you can't look down. You have to look up. 
when you pull water from the ground, you actually reach down with your own effort and pull it up to you. Whereas when God gives you water from above, you can only hold your hands open and say, I receive. Right? At the end of the service, we say, lift up your hands and you, the Lord bless you. You're receiving. Grace comes down from above. You receive. Is everyone still with me? In Egypt, they never really had to worry about invaders because Egypt has their own government. They have their own army, their own military. If they're attacked from the south, from the east, from the west, the Egyptian army will go out. And historians tell us that Moses was a general, meaning uh, he led the army many, many times into battle. In fact, there's a, there's a historical record of Moses as a general fighting the Ethiopian army and winning. So he was a general. They had an army. If you were a slave in Egypt, you knew that Moses was a general. You didn't have to worry about anyone coming and attacking you. But when God called him out into the wilderness, you know what the Lord told him? No armies. <laughs> Everybody, when you camp, you put your back to the wilderness and you face me. Now, Three tribes on the east, three to the west, three to the north, three to the south. Everyone's facing inside. Who watches our back? And the Lord says in the Old Testament, he says this, the glory of the Lord is your rear guard. I don't even want you looking over your shoulder. Who's going to protect me, Lord? I'll protect you. Even when you lay down to sleep, put your back to your enemies. Are you with me? So you see this picture of when they were in Egypt, you think, well, everything would be better. You know, everything was okay. Yes, we're in bondage, but at least we had these things. And God says, I want to call you out into the unknown. I want to bring you somewhere where you have to trust me for everything, where you have to depend on me. You can't even trust yourself to save yourself or even to feed yourself or give water. If you want bread, I'll bring bread from the heavens in the morning. When you walk outside, you'll pick it up off the ground. If you want water, I'll bring water from above. And they complained about the bread. We're tired of bread. We want meat. God brought so many quail, so much quail, that the Bible says, God said, you're going to eat so much quail, it's going to come out your nose. And, and literally, the Bible said, they could literally reach their hands up and pull quail out the air because the quail was everywhere. I mean, his supply was greater than their demand, always greater than their demand. And now on this side of the cross, we're not under the judgment like them. So when you say, well, you know, Father, we're out here, we're trusting you, we don't know where we're going to go, what we're going to do, how we're going to do it. The Lord is saying, you're still better off here than you were over there. And don't ever be deceived. Where you came from might have felt comfortable, but I called you out of comfort into st- true stability. Is everyone still with me? So anyways, what nine plagues did not do, God wanted to bring them out. So he brought judgment against Egypt. Nine plagues utterly destroyed Egypt. I mean, when they thought, well, our harvest is destroyed because the locusts came in, then God brought hail. <laughs> and even the trees that were left standing after the locusts, the trees were brought down. I mean, everything, well, we lost our harvest, we lost our, our trees, we lost our farm, we lost everything we had physically. Then all of a sudden boils came on the people. And you think, well, God, how much, you know, how much worse can it be? Then God put all the Egyptians in darkness. And by the time the ninth plague had finished, they were going, Pharaoh, please get rid of these people. Please get rid of these people. And Pharaoh, the Bible says, God hardened his heart and he said, no, I still won't get rid of you. Now, we've shared this before, but I want you to think about it. What nine plagues of judgment could not do, the 10th one did. God's judgment couldn't bring them out of bondage. But the 10th one, what was the 10th plague? Does anyone know? The death of the firstborn. And who was the firstborn that died in our place? The death of the firstborn brought them out of bondage. You know, I believe so many people in God's house are still in bondage because they haven't yet realized that the firstborn has died in their place. And because of that, they're still acting like they're in Egypt and we are not in Egypt. Beloved, we are no longer in Egypt. (laughs) And the death of the firstborn has brought all of us out of bondage. So now we know that we're not in bondage. Notice, what was it about the death of the firstborn that marked all of them, that separated all of them? When they put the what over the doorposts? The blood. 
The blood on the doorpost means you're different. The blood on the doorpost means death can happen around you, but it cannot happen to you. The death of the firstborn means, hey, I'm sorry, the blood on the doorpost means everyone around you can fall sick, but you cannot. Are you with me? Now, I want you to look at this in Psalm 105. I'm going to just talk mostly so we don't look at 15 verses this morning. Psalm 105, verse 34 says, and and God spoke and locusts came, young locusts without number, and ate up all the vegetation in their land and devoured the fruit of the ground. He also destroyed all the firstborn in their land, the first of all their strength. Then what does he say? After that happens... Verse 37, he also brought them out with silver and and there was none feeble among his tribes. Oh, man. Verse 38, and we'll go back to 37. Egypt was glad when they departed, for the fear of them had fallen upon them. Now, God did so much to Egypt, they were so happy that they left. But notice what he says right here in this verse 37. It says, he brought them out with silver and gold. Now, what about the prosperity message? He brought them out with silver and gold. The blood of the, the, even the shadow of the blood of his son made them come out millionaires. 2.5 million people walked out millionaires. They plundered Egypt, plundered them. The ones who were keeping them in slavery, they plundered them. <laughs> and then, then you know, anyone who says, oh, that's the prosperity message. He brought them out with silver and gold. I'll take it, Lord. <laughs> and there was none feeble among his tribes. Now, let's, let's talk about this, this verse real quick. There was none feeble among them. All the elderly walked out, not elderly. (laughs) All the elderly did not walk out elderly. They ran out. All right. (laughs) He renewed you back to the days of your youth. But feeble does not just mean age. Feeble also means if you were weak, you were no longer weak. If you were sick, you're no longer sick. when, When the blood of the lamb came and they put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, when they walked out of their homes, none of them were sick. When they walked out of bondage, none of them were sick. None of them were weak. If you were a woman and you were trying to get pregnant, listen, listen, listen. It was a matter of days, sweetheart. You were none feeble among them. None. None. You're in the wilderness and everyone's looking around going, hey, I left my cane back in Egypt. You know, I'm serious. I left I left my pills back in Egypt. I left my medicine at home because we were we were the Lord told them to move quickly, move quickly on the on the next morning after Passover. Move quickly. Don't wait. Move. And I think that's because some people might say, I left the things I depended on. I left my Egyptian gods and the Lord is going, no, no, no. I want you to move quickly. So you forget what you had before. Are you with me? Now, I say all that to say this. When God brought them out by the blood of the lamb, none feeble among them. My prayer for this church is that there will be none feeble among us. That of everyone in here, I'm telling you, as everyone in here, that the Lord would continue to renew you to the days of your youth. That even in your old age, that like a like an eagle, you would that the Lord would begin to take off your old feathers, put new, new youthful feathers on you. And people say, there's no way in the world you're that age. (laughs) I'm receiving that for myself because, you know, (laughs) I'm serious. I believe that. And my prayer for everyone in here is that there would be none feeble among you. That when you say, okay, Lord, you know, I, I need to go do this, but let's call someone else to do it because I can't lift. No, no, no. By the grace of God, may you be like Samson. You know, you know, have you ever seen the cartoons of Samson when he would stand up and he's always like this jack man on steroids and he's like, tell the Philistines I'm coming. I never forget our uh, high school principal did our Bible class, um, Billy Miller, awesome guy. And I'll never forget one day he was talking about Samson. He said, I don't think Samson was, you know, muscles on top of muscles. I think Samson was a little weak, lanky guy. And this kid in my class, Gabe, I think he might have even pointed at him. And 
Gabe, my friend Gabriel, he was like this tall and he was just skinny and lanky and he would lift weights, eat as much as he could. He couldn't gain a pound. I mean, just lanky kid. And he was like, he probably looked like this guy. And, and uh, But think about it. God doesn't use people who already look like they have the muscles. He doesn't use people who have been through all the training courses and all the training saying, now I can use you. You are in the best position. He uses people that everyone goes, it had to be the spirit of God. That's the only way. <laughs> so Samson was probably this weak, lanky kid. And when Samson got mad, all hell broke loose. <laughs> all hell broke loose. When this lanky guy picks up a jawbone and says, everyone's getting annihilated. And annihilates 300 people at one time. I mean, come on. When the spirit of God moves, he doesn't look for the one who's most qualified. He looks for the one who is the least qualified. And I believe that for all of you. It's not an insult. It's a compliment. All right? <laughs> it's a compliment. God wants to use all of us. Our Heavenly Father wants to use you. But in using, how do we even get on this? In using you, let me say this. There is none feeble among us. Now, that doesn't mean he can't put lying symptoms on you. Because he does. He tries, not, not the Lord, Satan. He tries to put lying symptoms on believers. But let me say this. There is no sickness, there is no disease that can stay on you. Because there is none feeble among us. Now, why is there no one weak among us? Why is there no one sick? Why is there, why is everyone strong, healthy, vibrant? Uh, there is none, none barren among us. Why is that? Why are all of us walking out and experiencing true wealth? True wealth. Why are all of us doing this? Because of the death of who? And they put the blood where? Of the house. Of the house. The blood of Jesus has made you different. The blood of Jesus has separated you. And so much so that the Egyptians probably looked out the window through tears, holding their children who were dead, looking out the windows going, but they're not crying. Everyone else is suffering, but you're not suffering. Why are we suffering, but you're not? Because the blood has been put over the doorposts. The blood has been, the blood has made the difference. Now, think about this. Jesus said on the night of his, on the night of his suffering, on the eve of his passion, he said this, take drink. This is the cup of the new covenant, my blood, which was shed for the remission of sins. Now we use the blood for other things. Don't get me wrong. We do. But the main purpose of the blood was to remove sin, right? Now, has your sin been removed? Yes. Yes. Is our sin going to be removed one day? No, your sin has been removed. The blood of Jesus has removed all our sin. So if you look at Passover and you think what really made the difference, the blood made the difference, but it made a difference in this way. It showed that, hey, there can be no death here because these people are righteous. These people are righteous and it's not their righteousness. It's my blood that's made them righteous. So the blood of Jesus has said, hey, look, it's not their righteousness, Father. It's my righteousness that makes them different. Everything I deserve, they should get because it's not their righteousness. It's my righteousness. You know, years ago, I used to say, okay, Lord, uh, if I have to claim every single promise and every single benefit in the Bible, I should start learning now. And one day a great man of God stood up and said this, even when you don't know every promise, if you will just say out your mouth, I am the righteousness of God in Christ, every blessing that belongs to the righteous man will come to you. Look at this. First Corinthians, second Corinthians chapter five, 21, the apostle Paul says, for God made Jesus who knew no sin. I know it says he and he, I'm translating. For he, for he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. Now, hold on. I know you know the rest of the verse, but think about it. God, as judge, made Jesus his son to be sin for you. Now, think about this. There's a lot of things that you think and you don't always do, all right? Yeah. All right. <laughs> There's a lot of things you probably think you, you think about doing, but you don't always do it. Right. That person cuts you off. You don't say what you wanted to say. Some of you said it and there, were, there was more you wanted to do, but you didn't do it. 
Thank God you didn't do it because you might be in a different place this morning. All right. In a uniform with other people in uniforms in a special room. Okay. So let's praise the Lord. You didn't do it. But there were some things that you thought about doing that you didn't do. Is everyone still with me? All right. God made Jesus to be sin. Not just what you thought. Not even what most of you said. I know you. Not what most of you said, but what you actually wanted to do. Now, that's the worst version of you. The best version is the one who said, oh, praise the Lord. You give something to those who find him. Praise the Lord. That's the best version. That's not the version you got, but that's the best version. The middle version is the one who said what you shouldn't have said. The worst version is the one who did all the things inside that you didn't do. Jesus didn't die as the best. He didn't die as the the, the middle. He died as the worst. Are you with me? Because sin takes you further than you wanted to go. Makes you stay longer than you wanted to stay. All right. He didn't die as the best. He died as the worst. So even though you didn't do it, Jesus died as if you did. Are you with me? That's why at the cross, he didn't get a light punishment. God gave him the fullness of all his judgment, the fullness of the punishment. He gave him the worst of the worst that Jesus could possibly, any of us could possibly get. And at the cross, Jesus didn't just die as a bad person. He died as the worst sinner on the face of the planet. God made him to be sin for all of us. All of us. And for what reason? That we might become. Now, let me say this. He did not do that so we would do righteous things. Jesus did not die so that we would be or so that we would do good things. Jesus didn't die to make bad people good. He died to make dead people live. Are you with me? Now, that doesn't take away from what we should do. We should do righteous things. But Jesus did not die so that Matthew would do good things. Jesus died so that Matthew could become the righteousness of God. So that that worst person of me would never feel it on this side of the cross. So that that version of me that was the best version, that he would go beyond the best version of me and God would bless me. So when that person cuts me off, even though the words might slip out, God will still bless me as if Jesus was in that car and Jesus blessed him. Are you with me? And so that's why you say, well, how can I receive the best? But even when I act the worst, because it's not my righteousness. It's the blood of someone else over my doorpost. It's the blood of someone else over our household. It's the blood of someone else. And it's his righteousness. It's not ours. It's his. It's not my, it's his. So as long as it's his righteousness, if I don't know what belongs to the righteous person, if I will just say out loud, I am the righteousness of God in Christ, everything that belongs to him will come to me. If I need protection, just say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. You say, well, what, well, Matthew, give me every verse on healing. I can give you some. I don't know all. I can give you some, but I can give you one that I can, I can do you one better. You ready? Can the righteous men fall sick and die? Then say you're the righteousness of God in Christ. Problem solved. Well, what, what about this verse? That's a great verse. You should meditate on that verse. But what if you forget that verse? I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I mean, come on, let's say it together. Say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. You say, well, I need, I need, I have a financial problem. I need financial help. All right. Well, most of us know the, know this verse from the word of faith movement. My God shall supply all my needs according to his. What if we don't know that verse? Oh man, you beat me to it. There you go. You know why? Because David said, I've never seen a righteous person ever beg seed or bread. No righteous man can ever beg for seed or bread, not just for bread or for seed. And that, oh, come on, that was beautiful. You can't beg for the food or the seed to produce the food because you're righteous. 
So when you say, I am righteous, God is obligated by the blood of his son to say, you're right, you are righteous. Now I will give you everything that belongs to Jesus. I'm running out of time. He wants to, now listen, knowing that, what does that mean? Everything you get is not, it's not what you deserve. It should always be what he deserved. And let me say this, God is not unrighteous. If I come to God and I say, all right, not, 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 I'm not going to say heavenly father. Let's just use the term God, okay, as judge. If I come to the judge and I say, I would like to receive some healing. I'm feeling something right here. I need healing. All right, as judge, he will say, who paid for it? We say, well, Jesus paid for it. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. It's not mine. Jesus paid for it. If God doesn't give it to me, then God is, and I say this graciously, God is unrighteous. God is unjust. Do you understand? He's unrighteous. Because if God refuses to give me one thing that's already been paid for, then he is an unjust God. And the whole universe is at stake. But if I come to him and I say, hey, I am the righteousness. He says the righteousness of God in Christ. Yeah, Jesus already paid for it. Here you go. He's righteous. God is righteous to bless. God is righteous to heal. God is righteous to protect you. God is righteous in preserving you. God is righteous to elevate you, not just through the bare minimum. God is righteous to elevate you and make you shine and glow with the glory of God. God is righteous to make everyone come around you and get healed because they're close to you. God is righteous to make you look exactly like his son looks. And if he doesn't, I say this graciously, he is unrighteous because it's already been paid for. Does that make sense? It's because it's been paid for. God is obligated legally to do this. Now, I'm going to show you, show you a story. Man, I had so much. I, wanted, I told you. I, I told myself, Matthew, keep it short. Now, let me show you this real quick. Can I show you two places? No, I won't do it. <laughs> I won't do it to you. I love you too much. I want to show you something in, I want to show you something in 2 Kings. 2 Kings. I want to show you this in 2 Kings. Now, in 2 Kings, you see the story of Elijah and Elisha. Okay? Elijah and Elisha. Now, what's happening is this. Elijah, when he came to find his successor, he came to find the next one in line who would take his place as the prophet of the hour. The Bible says that he walked by and the the Lord showed him, this is the man. He took off his mantle and he threw it on the young man who was walking. Does anyone know who that young man was? Elisha. Interesting. Names are interesting, right? El means God. Eli. Eli means God is. Elijah, Jah, the J-A-H in the English is actually Yah, Elijah. It actually means God is Yahweh. I'm sorry. No, yeah, God is Yahweh. Then you have Elisha, Eli, God is. Shah comes from Yeshua, God is salvation. Shah, Yeshua means, is also the name of who? Jesus. So Elijah, his ministry is a picture of God in the old. Elisha, his successor, a picture of Jesus. New covenant ministry. <laughs> Elijah did eight miracles. Elisha does... 16, twice as many miracles as his predecessor. Are you still with me? Now, the reason why I'm telling you all this is this. Elisha, he takes off his mantle and he puts it on the young man. And that's how he is called. He takes off his mantle. Now, I say mantle. You know what a mantle is to the Jew? Their understanding? Their talit, the prayer shawl. I was going to bring mine today. Do you know that when we were in Israel, we were coming through the Jewish quarter. This is a side story. We're coming through the Jewish quarter and they were looking for wood. They were trying to find um, these nativity things. They um, just bring it back for a friend. And we walked by this, this store. They sold prayer shawls, the Jewish prayer shawls. And so I was like, I want to go in there and find one. I was on a mission on this trip. I want to find a Jewish prayer shawl that's made of completely fine linen. All right? You know why? Because in the wilderness, God told them the priests could only wear fine linen. 
You can't wear anything else. <laughs> it's a picture of God saying no mixture, no mixture. And if you wear fine linen in the heat of the day, fine linen keeps you cool. So I thought, I'm on a mission. I want to find a prairie salt that's got fine linen. So I go into this place, I find one, and all of a sudden I see the price tag, and I was like, yeah, that's not happening on this trip. So <laughs> my dad walks in. No, this is, the, this is the great, this is the funny part. My dad walks in, he goes, hey, what you looking at? I'm like, I'm looking at this, I'm looking at this prairie salt. <laughs> and he's like, oh, man, that's really nice. And so the girl comes out, oh, she shows me all the ones. I'm like, yeah, but I want fine linen. Well, that one is fine linen. It's a little expensive. I'm like, it is a little expensive, isn't it? <laughs> My dad's like, oh, don't worry about it. We got this. So I'm not going to tell you the price, but I have a prayer shawl that is fine linen. Later on, my mom was like, you got one? How much was it? I was like, it was a gift from the Lord. Don't ask questions. Don't ask questions. All right. Don't ask questions. So I have one. I was going to bring it this morning and show all of you, uh, but I forgot to bring it. So I'll bring it some, t- some other time. But anyways, the, the reason why I say that is this. The, the talit or the prayer shawl, we'll call them the talit because that's what they call them. The talit in the Hebrew, when you see it in the Bible, it's always the Hebrew word adoret. Now, that's a story for another day. The talit is interesting. Jesus, when he was walking, we've shared this before in the Gospels. I don't remember which one. When he was walking, the woman with the issue of blood reached out and touched the hem of his garment. She touched the strings that hang from his talit. The talit, when it hangs, it hangs behind you. And in the Old Testament, God prophesies that when the son of righteousness will rise, he will rise with healing in his where? In his wings. The the flaps that hang off the talit, they call those the wings that wave behind you. Today, when you're in Israel, you may not see them wearing it, but underneath their shirt, they always have the strings that hang behind them. They're called the phylacteries. The strings are called phylacteries. Okay. And actually in numbers, I want to say 15 or 18. I'm kind of... Anyways, in one of those chapters, Numbers, God says this. When you look at the, the phylacteries that hang, you will remember the covenant and the laws that I made. All right. In the Hebrew, it says this. God says, when you look at the phylacteries that hang, when you look at the, literally in the Hebrew, Aleph Tav, you will remember. Who is Aleph Tav? Jesus. Jesus. Alpha Omega, Aleph Tav. When you look at the prayer shawl, you'll remember Jesus. Now, that said, there's an Old Testament verse, again, that says this. uh, You've given me the garments of salvation. You've clothed me with the robes of righteousness. So what we see is when the woman touched the talit, she was reaching out for his righteousness. She got the hem of it, meaning she got the healing. When you see the word righteousness in the New Testament, always translate it as whatever you need from God. Right? Always translate it as whatever you need from God. If you need healing this morning, righteousness means I'm healed. Because the righteous man cannot be sick and die. Any more than a righteous man can be poor and for the rest of his life. This is impossible. The righteous never begs cedar bread. So whenever you see righteousness, always translate it as whatever you need in the New Testament. Are you still with me? Now, I'm going to show you why in just a moment. The talit is a picture of God's righteousness, not ours, God's righteousness. And in fact, when I was getting ready for this week, I saw this story and I'm going to show you this story. Elijah, his time is coming to an end. And there's about 50 other prophets following him with the young man, his successor, Elisha. And as his time comes to an end, the 50 young men, they come to Elisha and they say, you know, your master is about to leave. His time on earth is coming to an end. And Elisha says, hush, I don't want to talk about it. So Elijah says, hey, I have to go to this city, I think in Jericho. And he says, all of you stay here. And Elisha says, no, 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 where you go, I go. All right. You're not leaving this earth without me. So they go. After they get to that city, he says, I have to go over to this place. All of you stay here. And Elisha says, no, 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 no. Where you go, I go. You go there, we're going to. So he follows him. Finally, Elijah says, look, third time, I have to go to the Jordan. Everybody stay here. And Elisha says again, where you go, I go. I'm not leaving your side. 
So he goes. But the other 50 stay on the bank of the Jordan River. We were baptized in the Jordan River. They stay on the bank of the Jordan River. Now, while they're, while they're at the Jordan River, Elijah takes off his mantle or his tallit. He rolls it up and he hits the ground. Here we are. Second Kings chapter 2, verse 7. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance. While the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now, Elijah took his mantle or his tallit. He rolled it up and struck the water and it was divided this way and that. So that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. <laughs> Let me say this. When was the last time we saw someone cross over on dry ground? Moses at the Red Sea, but after that, God did it again at the Jordan River. It's something about God when he, he doesn't like his people to walk through the water. He wants them to walk on dry land. I, I can't explain it, but hey, he loves you. And so it was when they crossed over that Elish, Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Now, when I saw this man, oh man, when I was getting, I'm telling you, I'm, when I saw this, I got excited. What did he do? He followed Elijah. He followed him. But what happened before that? He took off his righteousness. Can we use that? He took off his righteousness and he hit the water. When he hit the water, the water split. They walked over. If you insist on following someone who has the righteousness of another, the time will come. The Lord will say, ask, ask, what can I do for you? It brought him a free favor from God Almighty. Are you with me? Solomon had a dream one night and the Lord came to him and said the same thing. Ask. Anything you want is yours. How did he get a free favor from God? You know what he did the day before? He killed a thousand. He made a thousand burnt offerings at the house of God. And that very night, God was so impressed. A thousand burnt offerings. You a a thousand pictures of my son. What, What do you want? It's yours. Name it. It's yours. What makes you safe for success? When you keep your eyes on Jesus. The greater your revelation of Jesus, I believe the more free favors you'll get. Grace and peace are multiplied in the knowledge and revelation of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I think it's first Peter. Are you with me? So anyways, he says, ask, what can I do for you? I love free favors. I'm a a fan of free favors. All right. God wants to give you free favors. So what does he do? He follows the one who has the righteousness of another. Now watch this. Verse 10. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. You want twice as much of the anointing I have on me. That's a hard thing. Jesus said, what's difficult with man What's impossible with man. Is possible with God. All things are possible for the Lord. So he said, what you're asking me is a hard thing. Let me say this. Whatever you have need of this morning, I don't care how hard it looks to you. It may be a difficult thing for you. Praise God that it's hard for you. Because now you can't do anything. What does he say? Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Let me say this. When I saw this, hmm, what have we been saying the last three to four weeks? It's God is more interested in what you see than what you do. God is more interested in what you're seeing than what you're actually doing. The answer for him to get twice as much as he had was not, Elisha, you want my anointing? You want twice as much as me? Go study under me. Go study all the scrolls I have pinned in my hours of need. He didn't, that wasn't, what was the answer? See me. See. See. And if you see, then you'll get it. (laughs) Are you with me? Oh, I'm telling you, I didn't plan this out, I promise. If you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire, to, uh, fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up, in a, went up by a whirlwind into heaven. He saw something impossible. <laughs> he saw something utterly impossible. And Elisha saw it and he cried out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and his horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took 
hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. Now I looked up the word for clothes right here. He took hold of his own clothes. It's not the same word as mantle as we saw earlier. But let me show you what Elisha did, all right? And let me show you what many of you have done by the grace of God, which you'll do even this week. Don't go to work and tear off your shirt and say, my father, right? That's not what I want you to do. What he did was this. He tore off his own robes. Elisha has the mantle of power. We'll call it that Old Testament. He's the man of the hour. All right. In the New Testament Acts, they would send pieces of garments to people and they would touch it and get healed. All right. May the same be said of all of you in here. May we never have to send you a garment. May you send garments and people get healed. All right. But anyways, what he did was this. Elisha is the man with the, the power. Everyone else is probably wearing one. Elisha's, he touches the water, the water splits. My God, he's got the power. So y'all follow him. And right as he goes up into a whirlwind, he says, my father, my, he sees him go up and that's utterly impossible. How in the world could that even happen? But what happens? Watch this. And I'll show you why this is important. Next verse, verse 13. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. What happened? He tore off what he knew before. He went and grabbed the righteousness of someone else. And in fact, before you read verse 14, watch this. This is the same verse in the Hebrew. And he took up Alev Tov. <laughs> I, told, I didn't even know that was there. I had no idea this was even there. And Elisha took up Alev Tov, the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. What is the Lord trying to show us? I'm telling you, if you will pursue the righteousness of another, the righteousness of another, everything that you, it was hard for you, God is saying, hey, look, you'll get it anyways. Lord, this is impossible. You're absolutely right. That's why I want to give it to you. Stop, and I say this graciously, stop asking God for things you can get yourself. Years ago, I told this story. I was working at a bus company and we had this ant problem. We pulled the buses up to wash like about four feet from this um, little uh, sidewalk area. And we had an ant problem. The ants would swarm the water hose. And every time you had to turn water on, the ants would. And I just got so frustrated. And, I, and me and my friend, he was a believer. We used to joke around, you know, joke around about how, what we would do to the ants. And I mean, we were dumb. Anyways, you can't, I, was, I was studying Proverbs one day. And the, there's a tree right beside where the ants were. And as I was kind of meditating on Proverbs, the Lord spoke this to me. He said this. He said, think about the ants. Think about it. And I saw this picture of an ant. I thought, you know what? Think about how small an ant is. Think about the house of an ant. It's about that big underground, right? About that wide. But one ant is so tiny. I mean, you can barely see it from where you're sitting right here, right? And the Lord said this for me. If you were to build a house for that ant, proportionate to what he wanted, it would be a hard thing for you to do. And I said, you're absolutely right. My hands are too big. And all of a sudden I got it. The Lord said, son, stop asking me for small things. The smaller the request, the harder it is for me. Ask me for big things. And then all of a sudden I saw in my mind, if I were to build something proportionate to me for the ant, it'd be too big for him. He might not enjoy it. But you know what? It would be so big that all the other ants around him would go, can we have one too? <laughs> now, I know it's a, you know, what, Matthew, you're talking about ants on Sunday morning. Listen, right? <laughs> stop asking God for small things. Stop asking God for small things. His hands are so big that for him to do something that small, is like, just let me do what I want to do for you. Let me do what I want to do for you. Are you with me? Now, let me close with this. He took up Olive Tov, the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him. I just, man, I saw Jesus. I got excited. Watch this. In verse 14, after he picks up the righteousness of another, then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him, struck the water and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Now watch this. He takes the right, he hits the water and nothing happens. So what does he do? Where is the God of Elijah? Have you ever declared, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ and the worst still happens? Then what does he do? Hold on, hold on, hold on. I know what's in this cloak. 
I know what's in the righteousness of God. I know what belongs to the righteous one. I know what belongs to Jesus. Where is the God of Elijah? And when he had also struck the water, it was divided this way and that. And Elijah crossed over on dry land. Mm. I'm telling you, insist on it. Be intentional about it. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Will the worst still happen? Where is the God of my, of my Savior? Where is the God and Father of my Lord and Savior? I am the righteousness of God in Christ. He became my sin that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Are you with me? Last, last, last verse. Really, I promise to know verse. I, this is actually my third verse for the record. All right, I said three. Romans chapter 10, we'll close with this. Romans chapter 10, now how do we get it? How do we do it? I know I already gave you the answer, but I just want, to see, I want you to see this for yourself, okay? Romans 10, 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does, does, does. How do you know you're under the law? You're still trying to win by doing. You're still trying to get it by doing something, all right? But then verse 6, but the righteousness of faith does what? Speaks. Speaks. How do you know you're right where you're supposed to be? Because you're declaring out of your mouth. I am, I'll tell you in a second, but you're declaring it out of your mouth. The one who's still under the law is the one who gets up and tries to fix everything on his own. The one who is actually under faith is the one who says out of his mouth what he believes. Now, what does that person say? Verse 8, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Notice it's where first? Mouth and then? As a kid, I used to say it all the time, you know, oh, I've told you this before. As a kid, I used to think I was really, really ugly. I did. I used to think I was really, so what I would do is my brother would, and my brother would contest that. I did. I used to believe I was very, very, uh, so what I would do is, I still remember at our, at our home on Grime Street, I would literally stand in the, in the mirror and I would look in the mirror and say, you are good looking. You are handsome. You are good. And I, did, I would. I would stand there. And we used to say in a word of faith, church, we used to say, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So I used to say, Matthew, you are good looking. And I would tell him, just believe you're good looking. And look what happened. Y'all didn't have to laugh that loud, though, okay? <laughs> you didn't have to laugh that loud. <laughs> now, now, let me say this. The word, y'all really didn't have to laugh that loud. So anyways, he says, the word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. Now, if you don't believe it yet, you don't act like it, all right? Most of us don't act like we are the righteousness of God, all right? Because we don't do righteous things. But righteous people are not defined by what they do. They are defined by who they are. Are you with me? So again, if you don't act like you're the righteousness of God, the word is where first? Then it's where? There you go. So keep saying it. It will find its way here. Now, why is it so important that it find its way here? True transformation is not what you do. Truth is not someone telling you from the outside how to change. True transformation always comes from the inside out. If my wife demands that I love her by doing certain things, I'll never love her. But if she lets me love her from the inside out, I'm telling you, my actions will always follow my heart. Your actions will always follow your heart. God is not so concerned about what you're doing as much as what you are, what's in your heart and what you're seeing. Are you with me? So what happens? He says, hey, the word is near you. Where is it? It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. Just keep saying it. Well, I don't act like it. Just keep saying it. When people get sick, we tell them to say what? By his stripes, you are. But they're not healed yet. <laughs> Just keep saying it. When you, need, uh, when you need financial provision, we say, say, my God shall provide all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But you know what? I still have the need. We'll keep saying it. When I don't act like a righteous person, why do we tell people to say, oh, God, I'm a horrible sinner? <laughs> no amens. Right? Why? 
Let's keep the same pattern. Let's keep the same structure. The word is near you. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. Now watch this and we'll close. Verse nine. What's the word that's near you in your mouth and in your heart? That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For or because with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Now, why does God want it in your heart so bad? Why does he want you to know in your heart? For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession. I say this all the time, but I wanted to show you this morning. Homo logio. Homo means same. Logio comes from logos, spoken word. Put the two together. For with the mouth confession, saying the same thing. Are you with me? Saying the same thing of what? What your heart believes. Well, my heart doesn't believe it yet. Just keep saying it. Keep saying it. And one day your heart will say, Maybe I am the righteousness of God in Christ. <laughs> and in that moment that your heart believes what your mouth is confessing, because your mouth is saying the same thing. The moment your heart believes what your mouth is confessing, that confession is made unto salvation. Well, Matthew, I'm already saved. Aren't you glad salvation in the Greek right here is the word soteria, which literally means welfare, prosperity. There's your prosperity gospel. <laughs> welfare, prosperity, deliverance, preservation salvation and safety. God is still interested in you after you say Jesus, your Lord. He's still interested. He's still interested in you. Well, I bowed the knee. You're right. Now it's time to get up and let me make you look good. But how do I get there? Confession is made to salvation. Let's take this word salvation out and let's put, let's put healing. Can we do that? Confession is made to healing. Confession. I'm not saying, I'm not saying throw the pills out. What I'm saying is take the pills and say I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Are you with me? I'm saying do what they tell you, but say I'm the righteous. Keep saying it and keep saying it and keep saying it. I'm telling you, well, I don't have the, I don't have it financially. Tithe, let your actions follow your heart. Tithe and say confession is made to my prosperity. Keep saying it. We say, well, I don't know all the verses on, on prosperity. Didn't you just say I'm the righteousness of God in Christ? Give and say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Go out and believe I'm the right. Take your pills. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Take communion and say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Just keep saying, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And the more you say it, the confession one day will hit here. And the moment, the next time you say it, because your heart is in tune with what you're saying, that confession that comes out will produce whatever you need in life. I'm telling you, there will be none feeble among us. There'll be none weak. Mm. I say this graciously. None of the women will be barren in our midst. Amen. <laughs> I'm telling you, the Lord is going to take care of us because he loves you. And so, oh man, we are all oh, Jesus. I have so much I want to share, but we'll share it next time. Have you been blessed? 2021 can't come fast enough. Thanks for listening to Center Church Podcast. We trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to receive more of our content in the future, you can email us at centercharlotte at gmail.com. Or just visit our website at centercharlotte.org. Thanks for tuning in and may God's grace cover you in every area of your life.